Hello, welcome to a bit of a different Rahalastapar. This is a new era. It'll all be like this for the short term and maybe the long term, who knows. But this is a remote Rahalastapar. Rahalastapar, stop saying that, you people over there. With the wonderful Adam Buxton. We recorded it about seven weeks ago, I think. And near the beginning of lockdown, or nearer the beginning of lockdown. Uh, we are now nearer the end of lockdown, but who knows when that will be. Uh, we're going to carry on uh, doing these. We've done five or six already, and um, there will be more. We record them, and you can watch them live on Wednesday nights at 8pm on twitch.tv slash rkherring. Um, there might be a couple of weeks I take off just because I'm writing a book at the moment, but um, tune in then. There's lots of other stuff on twitch.tv slash rkherring, including morning stone clearing, evening snooker playing, Sunday nights, I'm watching films and doing director's commentaries, and you can watch along with the film at home. Uh, and we're playing a few video games and planning what other stuff we can get up to with uh, a live broadcast on Twitch. Um, you can subscribe to that, and if you're with Amazon Prime, you can give me £5 a month with no extra cost to yourself. You just have to link your accounts and then subscribe. Remember to come back each month and subscribe again. If you don't do it for me, please do it for someone on Twitch, because there's free money sitting in your account that uh, you can give. Take it from me and Amazon and give it to someone who deserves it. I will use any money I get to churn back into making more podcast content for you. Um, so, yeah, it's sad that we lost... Lots of potentially fantastic live guests. Um, but hopefully they will all return and we'll be doing stuff in the theatre again in the autumn. That's when some stuff's pegged to go back in, but we'll see. Uh, if not, we'll keep providing content online and uh, wait until we have the all clear to come out of our bunkers and be humans once again, whether that's in five months or 500 years. I, we will return, and it was it, last week wasn't a bad way to end, and certainly the week before with Michael Palin, at least we got that one in the bag. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, com slash badges if you want to just give us some money uh, and get lots of stuff in return, lots of nice extras. Let's sit back, relax, and enjoy this slightly weird but rather charming and lovely, who are all these people clapping? Rahalastapa with Sir Adam Buxton. Thank you very much. Hello! How are you doing? Welcome, welcome to the first ever live-streamed Rahalastapa, uh, which uh, is Answer Richard Herring's live-streaming on Twitch podcast. You can't do that. But I was hanging around with myself in self-isolation, and I'm Rahalastapa, so I don't know if that's going to catch on. Um, welcome to the show. Uh I don't have to do the thing about please welcome a man. It's it's very strange doing it without an audience, though there's lots of people saying Rahalastapa zooming by in the chat room. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast in a couple of months' time, hello. Hope the world is still here. Uh, you may be one of the ragbag of survivors. Um, so because of the current situation in the world, we are starting to do uh, – we had loads of Rahalastapas stored up in a big podcast silo and foolishly started giving them out two a week because we thought we'll never get through all these. Oh, how we regret that now. So we're doing one of these every Wednesday night on Twitch. It will then be released. Um, you'll be able to watch it on Twitch for about a month, and then it'll be released in its turn as a genuine, regular 
Rahalas to podcast if this works, which it seems to be doing so far. That's very good news. 889 viewers in already. That's fantastic. We've already surpassed the, well, we're nearly at the highest ever Rahalas to live audience ever. Maybe that will happen as we go through. Uh, we surpassed the uh, total. Very sad that we should have been doing Adam and Joe and Lolly Adafopi just two days ago. Uh, it's very sad to have missed those podcasts. They should hopefully all be rescheduled. Um, we'll do our best. And also the Birmingham Podcast Festival and the Edinburgh Festival probably won't be rescheduled. I might try and do something from home. If you enjoy this, hey, uh, you can become a badger, as you know. You can uh, subscribe on Twitch. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can subscribe without any cost to yourself and give us $5 every month if you want to. Uh, by linking your accounts, there's a video on my YouTube, one nine, Herring1967, that will explain all that. If you would prefer to not give any money, or you have no money, that is fine too. If you would prefer to give some money to charity, could you Google Just Giving Heckle the Virus and you can donate some money to help all the club comedians who are currently uh, unable to work and have suddenly lost all their work and... Uh, We've got up to about £85,000 with that fund, but that is enough to last eight weeks. So we do need some more. Um, well, it's all very exciting. Uh, we're self-isolating. It's been nice to spend time with the kids and also a living hell to spend time with the kids. It's the worst thing ever. Uh, this morning, although uh, it was, it's, I'm in the countryside, it feels a bit like a sort of rural idyll and, some, and it's nice to be with the family all the time. And we've been playing Annie in the bre at breakfast. My daughter loves the soundtrack to Annie. Uh, and this, the sun will come out tomorrow. Tomorrow is a very inspirational song that's been helping us through, especially this morning when they sang Bet Your Bottom Dollar and my daughter went bottom and laughed and my son laughed. And I thought everything's going to be OK. <laughs> if they're laughing, if we're still laughing at that, we'll be fine. Uh, the news today is that men in their 50s and 60s are the most susceptible new uh, demographic to get the virus and die. So uh, I'm delighted about that. And I also sort of think... This is really bad news for us because I was getting quite fit till we were all locked down and now I'm just drinking beer and not exercising. And so we're gonna have, we'll have about two months of this and just as the virus is, is most virulent, it will hit us and we'll all be killed. It'll wipe out. It'll be like the Pied Piper of Hamlin, but of middle-aged men. And maybe it's good. Maybe we should all die. Um, I've been married for eight years uh, yesterday. Sorry, I didn't any snook yesterday. Uh, I was disappointed in the whole of that seventh year of marriage. I didn't get a seven-year itch at all. Just gone to the eight-year weeping sores straight away. Uh, but I guess that's a, a, a sign that I'm in love or something. I don't know. That's good, isn't it? What else was I going to talk about? I was worried about money. I've had to cancel so many gigs uh, and sort of ostentatiously gave away loads of money because I thought I've got that uh, O2 gig coming up, which hopefully will be rescheduled, but I haven't heard anything from them. Uh, and I was getting paid well for that gig, so I thought I'll give that money to the heck or the virus thing. Then that got cancelled like the day before. I mean, on the day, I think it was. But luckily on Friday the 20th of March, I got an email uh, that says, this is official notice of unclaimed fund of 10.5 million left by Mr. Herring, who died in a car crash. Upon your positive response, I will make all the information known to you once I confirm your willingness Regards, Mark. So that was good news. I've got 10.5 million coming in from a guy. It's a formal letter, but he's very informal, Mark, isn't he? Just signing Mark. I think he's trying to get in with me so that when I get the money, he, I'll give some of it. But I'm not going to fall for that, mate. It's my money and I'm going to enjoy it. I'm not gullible, mate. I'm not going to give you the money just because you're trying to be my mate. Uh, I'm a bit concerned. It just says 10.5 million. It doesn't say 10.5 million of what? I think it might be 10.5 million trim phones. We will see. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed Off Menu. You can still catch that on the Off Menu uh, feed and also the uh, Cosmic Shambles video feed on YouTube. Uh, Bella's pudding caused a lot of consternation. 
It's a real thing. I didn't make it up. It was April the 1st. I've been playing Football Manager on here, Snooker on here. Uh, Kevin Toms, who created Football Manager, has been watching me play Football Manager, which is one of the most surreal things I've ever experienced. Uh, you know, imagine the 14-year-old me knowing that one day the man who created the game I was playing would be watching me playing it. What would be the worst thing that you could have the person you were thinking of watching you do? No. Let's move on. Uh, we'll think of some more emergency questions uh, as we go. Subscribe if you want to. Follow me. We've got currently, as we speak, um, 4,882 followers. We might get up to 5,000. And we've got 1,522 viewers. It's the highest ever viewership for an episode of Rahalastaba. So thank you very much for that. Hopefully more will come in. Uh, do subscribe. Do follow me at least. Uh, and uh, if you can afford to pay money, you can pay money. If you want to do it via Amazon Prime, it's free money. Um, tell your friends. We'll be here every Wednesday evening. Uh, but my guest tonight, uh, he's probably best known as the ghost of Prince Quintus in Stardust, which I don't think I've ever talked to him about before, which I can't believe. Uh, will you please welcome a man I was meant to be talking to with another man on Monday? It's Adam Buxton. Here he is. There he is. Hey. Can you hear me, Adam? Hello. How are you doing, man? I'm very good. How are you? This is exciting, isn't it? It is exciting, yes. Modern technology. We thought it was a bunch of shit. We thought all it did was enable disgruntled, disaffected, angry losers on the internet. Wrong! It enables middle-aged, soon-to-die geniuses like ourselves to produce important broadcasts like this one to keep the nation's well, not... peckers up. I think so. Well, I, ch I wanted you to do the first one because I thought, who better... To, sure. to cheer everyone up, Adam yeah. Buxton. So hopefully, hopefully you will. We won't just. Are you worried about the? You know, I wasn't that worried about it. And then when Boris Johnson got seriously ill, I thought, oh fuck, this could actually get me. Are you worried now? You're a, you're a fifty now, aren't you, Adam? I am fifty. Yeah, uh, I'm 51. in the zone. I'm in the danger zone. Yep. I don't know. I feel I've had. I've been through the 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 thinking that you've got the symptoms phase. Of course. And uh, have you had the thing of kind of breathing and thinking, oh, that's a little painful. That's painful. No, I haven't had that yet. I've been, I was a bit ill when it all started up. I had a bit of a, I had a, some kind of bug off the kid. So I was like, right. oh, God. That's the thing um, is that is there's, there's loads of bugs around anyway. So yeah. it's so hard to tell like which one is which. Everyone is desperate to reach the point where you can take the test and find out if you had it or not. You know, the dream yeah. scenario is, oh, actually, you did have it, and you you just toughed it out. It didn't even affect you. Yeah. Fuck you, yeah. coronavirus. But yeah. um, but you should should we say at the top here that yeah, uh, like should we say a serious thing about how seriously we take it and how grateful we are to the frontline workers and all that kind of thing, and then. Hope yeah. that that will get us off the hook if we are then from then on flippant and inappropriate about the entire situation. Well, I would, I yeah, but I also I'm disappointed there hasn't been an eight o'clock clap for the podcasters of the world like on, out on the. Doorsteps. We're not doing the clap. That, we should be doing the clap. Everyone else has finished doing the clap. Oh, it's too late. Was that for John? Was that for Boris? You made me clap for Boris Johnson. Or was that for the? the, the, the haven't you NHS? been? I'm happy. To... Haven't you been praying for him all day? I have, well, I have. I feel, you know, I want to get to the point where we're able to go make the joke of I wish he had died when he had the coronavirus. That is what I'm sort of hoping for. But um, it's still, still, I mean, you know, I'm very upset. I, I'm hoping he'll have a, he'll go through it, all survive, 
and then go, oh, the NHS is really good. We should be much nicer to them than we were planning to be. They were pretending they were going to be nice to them anyway. So I confidently uh, predict that he yeah. is going to be absolutely fine. I confidently okay. predict, boy, maybe this is a stupid confident prediction. <laughs> yeah, but I, well, it's coming out. <laughs> I confidently predict that he is, as we speak, uh, watching a box set, uh, propped up on pillows, um, checking his Twitter feed, catching up on some reading and having a nice little break. Uh, yeah. And, you know, because they haven't intub intubated him or anything like that, have they? I think he's... Well, they're saying yeah. that, but I think they're like... They're, I mean, you know, this is going to come out in the podcast stream in a couple of months, so they will know at home. My fear is that he'll die on Good Friday and then come back alive on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and he is the new Jesus. That is my worry. That's my main worry. Yeah. So out of all the out of all the scenarios, that is the worst thing that can happen. Uh, but if he is Jesus, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. But yeah. I, are you what? I'm more. I don't. I don't. You know, fair. I don't want him to die. I hope he survives. But I'm more scared for myself as a middle aged man. I kind of thought I was. I was thinking, oh, it'd be quite good to get it. Just get it, like you say, get it over with. But now, uh, you know, I'm sort of thinking I, I, I probably don't want that to happen. No, the random factor, the not knowing how you will respond to it, is is. A frightening aspect yeah um, but it's quite well if you die well if you die adam will still put this out as a tribute to and i'll but i'll 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 do an intro at the front where i kind of hold a picture of you and go it's very sad to say adam buxton and if you would do the same for me yeah I've, you I could do that for... we'll have an amazing yeah, okay. charity show <laughs> all the comedians of the uk and all the finest comedians all across the world will yeah. come together and sing your praises and say lines that you did and we'll Playback times when you offended people and <laughs> said the wrong thing. Stephen Merchant will give a very tearful speech uh, yeah. about how you were uh, an edgy <laughs> genius. <laughs> hey, look. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to check. This is a radical change of subject. Yeah, go for it. Let's, let's talk. Yorkshire, what? Yorkshire tea made me some customized tea, like bespoke. Hold it a bit further over because you're not in the quite in the middle of the camera. Put it in front of your face. Dr. Buckles tea? No way. Yeah. And I think they sent it to me though. back in the day when I think they, I don't know, maybe they hoped I would tweet it or something like that. But yeah. I always feel a bit queasy when people do things like that, when they send you stuff and the and they're obviously hoping that you will tweet it. And yeah. um, so I didn't. But I do love it, and I do love Yorkshire tea. And I thought this might. And now I'm not on Twitter, so I thought, well, this this yeah. will be a good opportunity to just tick all those well, boxes, show off that they haven't. made me some personalised tea. You haven't opened it yet. Are you going to you're going to drink the tea? Uh, well, we'll see how things go. I mean, each each tea bag might be made from your flaked skin or something like that. It might be, <laughs> or at least have your face. It'd be great if it was just the tea, just face made a sort of Adam Buxton face with a beard on it as every time you dunked it. Oh, no, that's got to be possible. You're right. It it does say it's made from my, <laughs> my flaked skin. Fuck. No, I don't want That'd it that nice. much. <laughs> anyway, that's quite good, isn't it? Personalized. That is tea. pretty. That is pretty good. They haven't uh, sold out of tea. Uh, I mean, tea, tea. There's been like tea supplies are OK at the shops. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, nearly everything's back to normal. I went before, and obviously, toilet roll inexplicably disappeared, and flour, but flour has not come back. Has That's it not? the one thing: flour and um, fish fingers, which I can understand. Everyone's just buying fish fingers for their kids. All that sort of bits are empty, but flour. There was 
when I went to get eggs before it all happened, I was in Waitrose in Hitchin. Uh, and the only pack of eggs there were was one pack of quail's eggs, which uh. is the most hit. It's the most hitching thing I've ever seen. But that still meant that all the other quail's eggs had gone. Uh, there are now eggs there, but no flour. Everyone's turned into a, a baking British Bake Off champion. I don't know who, if everyone's thought we'll make our own food on from scratch. What about the chocolate situation? Chocolate's fine, but I don't eat chocolate. I've stopped eating chocolate. And I don't eat chocolate anymore. So that, but it's that's the supplies for that are low because I buy it for the kids. Um, everything was fine. I tried to buy I tried to buy four bottles of uh, five hundred milliliter diet coke, and I had to put one back because they were limited to three. That's yes. the only that was the only thing I got caught out on. How does it work then? With do they do they define what essential items are? I haven't actually been to the supermarket since the lockdown began. Uh, How are you living? Well, how are you eating? The thing, uh, my my wife, uh, she goes, so she does it. I think she likes doing it because she gets to go out of the compound and you know queue up well, and see other human beings. And you're sort of a hero for risking your life going out there, but you are then risking everyone else's life by returning home. You yeah. should be the person who goes to the supermarket is locked down for fourteen days, mate. She goes That's through quite a lengthy uh, <laughs> detox. Procedure when she gets back. I swear I shouldn't be saying this probably, but <laughs> she doesn't bring the bags into the house. She leaves yeah. them outside the house and then she transfers each item into uh, into like a bin and then she hoses down the bin and then she wipes yeah. everything with sanitary wipes and stuff. And yeah. then, it, I mean, it's like she thinks that chernobyl's happened or something but maybe <laughs> it's sensible though it is that's sensible. how it's going to get in it's that's the only way it's going to get in post the post deliveries or so but you know it's so Are they not hard, taking any precautions at the supermarket at all or is i mean but then people come and i went you know i go in and you touch something and they go oh no i'll have that one you know you pick something up and then you put it down everyone yeah. does that everyone does that it's like i totally touch my face all the time i can't stop doing that i was doing the keypad and i was like i just thought there's many the minute I touched the keypad to pay for my food. So, you know, it's just I, I, last time I took a big bottle of hand sanitizer in my pocket. That was what I decided to do to, yeah. to kind of. No, you're right. You're right. Now, I think but that's where you're going to get caught out. We can't get caught in. They can't get into the house without someone bringing it in on a package or from outside from the outside world. So, you know, we're safe as long as we stay inside. Yes. No, you're right. You're right. Now that I think of it, when I go to the supermarket, I sneeze, I drool, I lick all the <laughs> cereal, I kiss the woman at the checkout or the guy. I'll just kiss the checkout yeah. person. And it's very, it's, there's a lot of saliva. So it's just as well that I'm not be careful. doing the shop. Uh, we yeah. ran out of toilet paper ages ago, though. So, did you? Yeah. I've been just every morning, one of the routines now is I use the uh, jet washer. Everyone lines up, bends over and jet wash low you know on a low yeah. setting otherwise it's just mayhem but um that's a good routine what about have you got any good new routines lockdown routines oh man i'm just finding it so we're trying to work in ways that we can work and do some writing and look after the kids it's just awful having to look after your kids all the time yeah because you're, you don't how, you don't how old are yours five and two so the five-year-old was at school which was helpful and the two-year-old we had help and my mother-in-law would come over and yeah. You know, you realize how much help you had. And so to not have any of that at all, and you're still trying to work, I'm just so tired and drinking uh, to excess to get drinking over it. It's, re it's 
it's a beautiful thing. It's lovely. And I think you'll, I was thinking this morning, you sort of start feeling, I understand the spirit of the Blitz and I'm not comparing to the Blitz in any other way, but you understand how people look back at the Blitz and thought, oh, but it was a happy time though because we did this and this because you're closer. And even as things are happening, you're thinking once this is over, I'm going to look back at my daughter laughing at, at Bet Your Bottom Dollar and I'm going to really love that memory if I'm still alive. If not, I'll leave a little video for her saying remember that and she can enjoy it. Um, so, you know, I think you understand that. You're almost in the moment feeling the nostalgia for what you're doing. So loads of it is we're living in the country as you are and it's a kind of idyllic and it's fine. It's not that different than my real normal life, to be honest. Yeah, that's the thing. It's only, uh, when, you, it's only when you look at the news that everything... Uh, suddenly slides into perspective and yeah. and the, and you can't i mean it's hard not to well you're always reminded of how lucky you are and how grim it would be if your situation was different if you didn't like where you were living if you were living with people you didn't want to be with if you were living with no, someone scary i mean god there's so many ways it could just be unbearable and um I well, I just think lucky. of all, you know, even like when we moved to this house, we just had a son, a son, a baby, everything was half built. And, you know, it was, I just think if it had happened then, it would have been, and we had a terrible four or five months where things went wrong. And if it had happened then, it would have just been the end of us, I think, like literally. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking if it happened in the 90s when I lived on my own and, you know, and there wasn't even a proper internet <laughs> to help you out, really, um, it would have been just, so, so for the people like that so the nice thing i think is there is the internet there is stuff to do uh there are you can talk to people and interact with people but yeah i mean if you were dating if you were you know if you were not in a relationship but you you know you, if you want to have sex in the next three months what are you gonna do you can't just wank all the time i mean that's what you'd have to do adam it's it'd like be, be it'd be like being married you'd have to wank all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but i was like that's the other thing now, for six months, married people, on average, are having slightly more sex than single people. Are they? And that is the that's the I would say so because the single people are having no sex, and somewhere married couples are have one married. It just takes one married couple to have sex once in the next two months, and will have had more sex than the single people. Yes, I reckon I can do that in the next two months. <laughs> that's my that's my boast. How about arguments? Have you had what kind of things have you argued about? Have you argued? With your it hasn't been as bad. I think I'm we're arguing less. We always argue. Like, you know, we always get the, the frustration of just the tiredness gets to us. And we have had one or two, but actually everything's become a lot calmer as a result of this. So it's kind of weird. It's, have you it, argued it, it about sort of... things in the news? Uh, not too badly. Have you been arguing about that? What have you argued about? Yeah, no, I mean, about? low level stuff. It's all been fairly yeah. harmonious, actually. It's all like, yeah, as, I'm, as I'm you say, well. it's like, God, it feels like, wow, we, we went nice. We made a good decision here. And, uh, I like my children most of the time. Yeah. And, yeah, most uh, my wife is great. And I just think she's terrific. The only time that she has made me a little bit sad is she's just discovered uh, WhatsApp and sort of social networking and messaging apps. And now all her buddies are in constant contact, sending her memes. And so right. she's just, and may, as far as I can tell, most of them come from the Daily Mail online. So she's just got this nonstop, Daily Mail online meme feed 
which is uh, making me a bit sad. Um, okay. Some of them are quite good. Have you seen the Irish girl saying, I'm six. Why can't I go to the pub? <laughs> Why won't you let me go to the pub? I'm six. Uh, I haven't. I haven't seen many memes. That That's a good one. I mean, that's not a yeah. coronavirus one. I don't know where that one came okay. from. But she's very charming. A humorous young woman who is six and very indignant that she is not allowed to go to the pub. <laughs> and uh, what are the other ones? There's a there's a coronavirus one of a guy, a sort of sexy guy dancing around with his top off, and then it, yeah. uh, it's after the lockdown, and it's a fat guy dancing around with his top off. Yeah, my mother-in-law has started. That's the only thing that's happened. And what what's that? My mother-in-law has started forwarding humorous things, and I miss her so much, mainly for the childcare that I have to pretend I enjoy all of them and everything she sends. But I think she has sent me that one, yes. So I have seen a few memes. We didn't, we didn't argue about that, but I was a bit shitty about it. I just said, uh, like, that, that was in the first week of lockdown, and I said something yeah. like, um, oh, Jesus, I hope you don't show me these memes every day of the lockdown. <laughs> but I said it in quite a shitty way. And uh, yeah. so that was, uh, there was some tension there. And then we had from nowhere this ridiculous conversation at supper about why are Sweden doing things so differently? Okay. And she said, like, isn't it weird that Sweden are just taking a totally different approach to the whole thing? And I just, I, and maybe I was in a bad mood or something, but I just said, no, it's a totally different <laughs> country. They do everything. They do loads of things different there. The society is structured in a totally different way. It's not comparable. They can do things their own way if they like. Anyway, it sort of degenerated from there. I think it'd be better if every country did handle it in a different way, and then we could find out the best way to handle it. That's the thing. So I think every country should say, "I'm choosing total lockdown. I'm choosing everyone still goes out," and, and then we would see which was the best way. Whether it's herd, I, you know, the herd immunity would work. No, that's no good. Whether... There's too many variables. That's the thing. It's like you could. All the islands could do it. So if all the islands said, right, we're going to do, we could say we're going to do herd immunity and see what happens. The only way uh, to do that experiment is to do it with centre parks. See how all the different centre parks do it. Have a community yeah. lockdown within each centre parks in the UK and then see how it spreads within the uh, lodges. Okay. Well, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how people of the future who are listening to this in the in the near future uh, do with that. But let's move. Let's move on. Let's talk about something else. Okay. Um, let me get my. I've got to wear reading glasses. Come back to it, though. I love Corona. Of course we will. We will. Of course we will. I love uh, you, chatting as, like, about my, it. As my <laughs> first guest, you. Are. I well, This is what I wanted. This is my the worst thing that's happened to me this year out of everything. Uh -huh. A well, the worst thing is I was going to have a really good year especially end of March, everything was really kicking off. Uh, I had a really good uh, TV thing that uh, was happening and I had uh, loads of gigs and big gigs and I was going to earn quite a lot of money and then everything shut down. So that was bad. I started the year going, everything's going to be fine. I'm having a great year. So that's bad. But the other thing, the worst thing that's happened to me this year is I realized that I my mind's eye is blind. I have a blind mind's eye. Do you know about this? There was a thing on Facebook a few weeks ago where it asked you to visualize an apple in your mind. If you close your eyes and visualize an apple, Got do one. you see like a very three-dimensional, lovely colored apple? Do you see a two-dimensional colored apple? Do you see a two-dimensional black and white apple? Do you see a very blurry 
sort of Apple or do you see nothing? Mate, it's HD Jazz Apple. It's turning yeah. in 360 degrees. I've taken a bite out of it. I can see the bite now. It's delicious. Yeah. This ha It hasn't been dropped. There's no bruising. There's no soft part. Yeah, so all functioning correctly in the mind's eye. I see. I see nothing. Really? If I think if I think of an apple, I just think of the word apple. What and about? I can't, I can't see an apple. What about if you think of genitals? Is that better? No, I tell you what. If I think I was trying to do because like obviously, like if I'm thinking of someone's face, right? Yeah. If I'm trying to remember something of someone's face, but it's very upsetting. I did. I had no idea that I had this uh, mental disability. It is really. If I think of someone's face, what happens is I kind of get a flash of it, but it's like if you got a flash on your retinas, you would sort of have the vague image. It's like the image is sort of behind my head. I can sort of think, let's think of Adam Buxton, and I go, oh, I can't see him, but oh, I can sort of work it out from there. I don't, I don't see you unless I'm looking. See, you now I'm looking at you, but I have no mind's eye. Is that and so? What is that? Is that memory? Are you not? You don't have good visual recall. I mean, it's not even memory. It's just I can't. If I close my eyes, I don't see anything. Everything in my head is is in an in, in internal monologue. If I think of an apple, I'm just I'm trying to you know I'm just thinking of what an apple is like, but I can't see it. Maybe you're overstimulated visually, and uh, <laughs> if you were on a desert island or in a blank room, like in a dark room or something, have you? Do you meditate? No. Because there's no point, because I can't see anything in my mind. I, I now, but I didn't. If they hadn't told me, I wouldn't have known about this. And now I know about it. I'm just bereft right. that I can't. Because I sort of think, like, well, when you imagine, say, uh, that, say you were imagining a past uh, sexual encounter, Adam, with uh, someone who wasn't your current partner. I believe it's known as the Wank Bank. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Uh, no, I don't. I don't see anything. I don't actually see anything. That's right. You don't I'm have dreaming. I see stuff. So you don't have an account in the wank bank. I don't. Well, I thought I did, and I thought maybe it's just in the you know that I've used pornography so much that I can't think of anything now. Maybe it's sort of it's sort of wiped. It's like an etch a sketch, and it's broken. And however much I shake it, I can't get anything back again. Yeah, exactly. But but well, uh, yeah. It's really bad. Well, it's weird to find out at 52 that you've got a disability that you didn't know about. <laughs> I'm hoping I can have a parking space. I've been trying to get the parking spaces for a long time, but yeah. I don't know if you'll get one for that. I'm doing, so you've got the prop because it, it's a graded thing and loads. I've I've met several people who, like me, can't do it. I hope the people at home are, are doing this as well now and trying to work out whether they can see things in their so heads. What do I'm you getting... think about when you go to sleep, like just before you fall asleep? Aren't, aren't you forming images in your mind then? Well, they're not images. They're just, I, I'm thinking all the time. I mean, some people have no internal monologue. That terrifies me. Some people don't think in words at all. What do they so do? Like it. just noises? I guess just they they only see things. I guess, but they'd have no they'd have no voice in the head narrating. Mm. I've got a voice that narrates. Yeah, that's sort of what my internal monologue is like. A lot of the time. <laughs> I mean that, yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. But I, I've got a words. So I guess my brain is just telling me. I think when the minute I fall asleep, I see stuff, uh, and the minute when I'm half asleep, I see stuff. I just see stuff in my dreams, but I just can't bring anything to mind. I bet you but can't all, visualize. I bet you can't visualize how you would respond if BT sent you a new look bill. Well, luckily, I've got a leaflet that shows you. <laughs> yeah.
Your My bill, bill has a new look. Your bill has a new look. And here's what it looks like when two people see <laughs> their bill. Your... So this lady's saying, how do you feel now that your BT bill has a new look? <laughs> She's saying, oh, it's just such a surprise and great. And it's made me happy. And I just feel so hopeful now that the bill has a new look. It's great, isn't it? BT. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that's what that leaflet's doing. Good. I'm worried, but everything now I worry about everyone being that. Every time I see anyone that close, I just worry about them catching the coronavirus. So you can't, yeah. you can't enjoy it. It's weird. It's changed the world. Maybe no one will, will ever touch each other again. You know, I've been thinking about that. I do yeah. think that, you know, in in China, the face masks, people wearing face masks, has been part of that culture for many years. Not everybody used to wear them, but you would see people in China with face masks. And I wonder if it'll be more like that here now. And yeah, the idea of sort of going to a a, a sweaty party uh, and dancing around and kind of draping your arm around someone and just, I think I would think twice about doing that now. Not that I ever did it very often in the olden days anyway. <laughs> but I think I would well, be quite... Uh, like what about after a gig and doing selfies and things like that? Yeah, well, I thought because I was the literally I did, um, which we might talk about later. I did uh, my final live Rahalastapur, um, and I went out and did all the signings and stuff. And it was still just at that point. I was thinking, oh, you know, it's it's that. It, do we do we have to be careful? Everyone was laughing about it. I went for a meeting two days later. Everyone was sort of still shaking hands, going, "Oh, we were meant to do that." And then suddenly, by the time the next, you know, within that week. By Monday, we were cancelling all the rest of the gigs and that thing. So, yeah, I did sort of think about that. When I was thinking I was going to do the Monday gig, I thought, am I going to go out and sell merch and sign merch? Or will that be weird? Or So, yeah, all those things completely change. Because, you know, I'm I'm happy for people. They, these nerds who watch this stuff, they all come up and hug you, don't they? Do they do that to you? Yeah, I, like, hug you I, 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 I like... I enjoy it. I like hugging people and I like... Uh, kissing people if i get yeah. the opportunity i'll kiss yeah, i'll kiss them okay and uh so i, th- yeah, I don't it do is that sad. have you no okay yeah that is a shame i spoke to my mum. <laughs> uh yeah it is she's out in reading and she's on her yeah. own so of course yeah i am a bit worried about her i think she's finally you know, getting the measure of the situation. She was in denial for quite a long time. She lives in a small yeah. village and she was saying, oh, um, I wish this, uh, I'm looking forward to this crisis. Well, it's not really a crisis, is it? Um, ending. And I said, yeah, it is, mum, it is a crisis. It's an actual crisis. And she said, well, yes, okay. I mean, I don't like it. It's not very... Uh, it's just a it's all a bit depressing and i go for my walk uh down by the river and i'm allowed to go for a walk so i go for the my walk and in in before people used to look at you and say hello and and now people don't even look at you oh. I, oh, I know i felt bad for her uh everyone's been much more friendly i think i, I live in quite a friendly village anyway but everyone's been really supportive and nice here that's what you go on a walk and everyone's like oh hi how you doing yeah my dog's it. been attacked my dog's not coping well with that my dog's having the worst time of the of everyone uh she get, usually gets walked at lunchtime with a load of other dogs by a dog walker in the village and i think she's really missing that 
but she's just started. If, if she's off the lead, she'll just stop just going too violently for other dogs. So you've got to keep on. She's never done that before. So it's really, that's really weird. But apart from that, everyone's been very nice. Apart from our dog attacking their dogs. Yeah. uh, Everyone's been very nice. I am. I've literally haven't seen anyone apart from my family for three weeks, apart from the post delivery person. Right. Are you, saying, what, are you going out? Are you walking? Have you got a big enough garden to walk your dog around the garden or do you take the dog, take Rosie out? We're out in the middle of a load of fields. So yeah. we're very lucky and we can just walk along the fields and we don't see anyone. Like we, we never see anyone anyway. And I, it's where I go and record my intros and outros for the podcast. And the reason if you listen to the podcast that I'm able to shout as loudly as I do at the end of each podcast and say, I love you, bye, is that there's no one around. There's never, I never see anyone. So um, we're lucky. We can kind of come and go as we please. And, and not so are you going out more than once? Are you doing more than once a day walking around or are you? I mean, it just, it works out that it's generally once. Um, and then the rest of the time, you know, do a few press ups uh, and then go out with Rosie. I've tried to, my mission is to be able to pogo round the house my wife bought some pogo sticks. Have you ever done pogoing? Uh, my brother did it when I was a kid and I was in deep, but he was a bit older than me and I was in a lot of admiration, but I was too young to be able to do it. And then I never learned to do it. So it's a I living nightmare. It. It's the yeah. worst. <laughs> my dad, when, when uh, my dad was alive and he used to review music videos for the Adam and Joe show. And one of the videos he reviewed was Supergrass late in the day. And I don't know if you remember that video. It's them all on pogo sticks going around London. And my dad just got a bee in his bonnet about that video. And he said, why are they on pogo sticks? It's absurd. It's utterly absurd. I was like, Dad, it's (laughs) it's a music video. It's just sort of fun. It's that the director just thought, well, it kind of fits in with a bouncy feel of the track. It's the worst form of transport ever invented, he said. That was his main objection, was that it wasn't a good form of transport, so why would you have it in a video? But he's right. It is absolutely shit as a form of transport. And also, it's not fun because it's so. it requires so much energy and coordination that it's absolutely exhausting. Within about three bounces, especially if you're 50 years old and not especially fit, it, you're ready to have a coronary. So my mission is to be able to get around the whole house without toppling off the pogo stick. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to have a, something to aim for. I just don't feel, I mean, I, you know, I'd like to think I would achieve something while I'm in lockdown, but I'm really, not, I'm finding it very difficult to do anything other. Are you, are your, your kids are a bit older, but are you homeschooling your kids or are, or are they just getting on with it themselves? Uh no. The thing is, <laughs> my two boys are, one of them was going to do his GCSEs and the other one was going to do his A-levels. Right. And so, you know, that whole situation is still up in the air. They don't really yeah, yeah. know what they're going to do. I have a vague feeling that they're going to reopen the schools before September. I can't believe that they're going to remain closed until then. I think for all sorts of reasons to 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 give people a break to get the economy going a little bit more and i don't know I, I i feel as if maybe they'll go back but then if they do it'll be weird like it's hard to know what the teachers would actually teach them now that they've had all this time off and the exams are completely up the spout because at the moment the idea is that they're going to be assessed and um 
assessed on their coursework plus the mark they got in the mocks. Right. But uh, my some one of my children didn't do well in his mocks. Actually, <laughs> and he said uh, he was saying to us like when he did incredibly badly, <laughs> we were saying, uh, "Why did you do quite so badly? Is there something emotionally up that we should know about?" And he's like, "No, no, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine." Um, uh, the reason I did badly was that uh, I just didn't revise. So we're like, oh, yeah, you've got to revise. That's the thing about exams. Pro tip. You have to yeah. revise, and then you do much better when you revise. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do that for the real ones. So that's not going to happen now. And no, now they're, no. you know, they, they're going to get this weird assessment, and then you're going to – like the older one's got a weird assessment for his A-levels, and then he has to apply to university off the back of that. Anyway, so that's all – a bit weird and stressful yeah. and um and now that it's officially easter holidays we're ignoring it yeah um, well we're ignoring it now it's easter holidays but it is you know it's quite i mean it's only my daughter obviously but then i'm trying you're trying to teach a, someone to read uh and it's not very full-on she's five but then there's a two-year-old running around trying to get involved in everything as well. So it's it's incredibly stressful and very difficult. We were trying to do half a day on and half a day off so we could work. Like if we were doing that, we'd flip it around. I'd do morning. My wife would do it the afternoon. But we just got no work done. So now we're doing a day on, a day off. But then the day on, looking after the kids, even without the schooling, is just so hard. So I'm so tired today. So it's just really – the idea of doing anything like reading a book, anything, I can't. I can't leave, you can't even leave the kids for more than a minute, you know, so you've got to be in the room with the little one. Uh, the other day, yesterday, I kind of basically tuned out. They were watching The Little Mermaid and I knew he was doing something, but I thought I was fine. And I was watching The Little Mermaid and he was behind the sofa and he'd pulled a table over, climbed up the bookcase and pulled down uh, my daughter's little, she was blowing growing pea shoots in a little fairy garden. He pulled it down and thrown it, and I hadn't seen any of this, thrown it clump by clump all over the <laughs> floor and then throwing the whole thing upside down to the floor and then i've got went and said what are you doing he said don't, don't worry daddy it's only soil and i thought and it was so he was so like innocent about it there was, and i was thinking my wife is absolutely gonna murder me she's been working on this thing with my daughter and it's entirely my fault so and because i had I'd taken my eye off the ball i was in the same room as him but i'd taken my eye off the ball for and then did you did you say to your wife it's okay it's only soil <laughs> i managed to get i just knew i had to go right and go this is entirely my fault he was very upset when he was you know when he's i, I knew everything that i should have done but i just had, i'd slacked back for 10 minutes and uh it was it was a bad thing oh. so you know but then it could be worse couldn't it? you slap back for 10 minutes and then you go oh what's where oh there's yeah he's put his fingers in the plugs <laughs> oh, well. oh well we've got another one <laughs> no I'm so it's, very, been very, it's been very difficult i'm very very grateful that ours are all old enough to sort of look after themselves during the day and uh that's left me time to do all my projects i've written uh two two and a half screenplays um i've written a very good play which about a middle-aged man on lockdown and he finds a portal to another dimension behind the booze. That cabinet. sounds good. And that sounds good. Um, that's already been nominated for several major awards. And I'm learning Chinese and I am becoming very fit and I'm volunteering for the NHS. I've got the app, the good Sam app. <laughs> yeah. 
and I'm going out and helping people. And that's very good. Um, yeah, and I've and I've been recording my audio book. So of course you have. Yeah, so your book. Well, let's talk about your book, the Ramble book. So what is the Ramble book? Is it an autobiography? Is it just? No, it's. I think it's called a memoir. So I think the difference between an autobiography and a memoir, as far as I am aware, is autobiography is your whole life, all the exciting things you've done. But as I haven't done that many exciting things, um, and you know, it's not like, oh, I can't wait till he gets to that bit about the persuasionists or whatever. <laughs> I um, can't wait till he gets. That's the <laughs> bit I'm looking forward to the most. <laughs> well, it, no, this is about. It's mainly about <laughs> growing up in the eighties. It's a, it's sort of a forensic um, series of reminiscences about my adolescence and making friends with Joe and the music I was listening to and the movies we were watching and formative cultural influences. And then juxtaposed with that, the other main motif is my relationship with my dad who, uh, for those who don't know, was in our TV show, the TV show I did with Joe Cornish on Channel 4 in the 90s. And then um, he died a few years ago. And so when he died, I realized that um, it was quite a weird relationship that I had with him in some ways. I mean, not weird, just quite formal. I think like a lot of people of a certain generation and perhaps a certain class, there's a kind of weird formality i was always envious of people who got on so well with their parents you know and wanted to call them every day and chat and laugh with them and tell you know share secrets and i never ever had that relationship with my parents all i wanted them to do was go away i wanted them to give me what i wanted and enable me to do everything i wanted but there was no sort of uh, close bond and my theory is that that's probably because they sent me to boarding school. And um, I think one of the prices you pay for being sent to boarding school is not really ever having that same close relationship with your parents again. I'm sure that's not true for everyone. I'm sure some people are fine with it. But I think that's what happened to me. Anyway, so the book is like a hopefully funny series of um, ramblings about my dad, my relationship with him, what it was like when he came to live with us when he was. Uh, ill and looking after him and um and then stuff about my own family and stuff about joe and friends and all that kind of stuff cool it sounds good so you've been doing the audiobook that last week you were recording the audio but you're doing that in your it where you're you're doing that there were you doing that at home yeah i've been doing that right here in my nutty room and i listen to a lot of audiobooks oh yeah i like that i like well i like the fact that i've been asking this as an emergency question so i'll ask you this I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and it's a real privilege to get to hear the author reading their own work when it's the when it's the actual author doing it. In if you could have any book from history or from all time before they started doing audiobooks, probably read by the author, who would you like to hear read a book? Uh, are we imagining that they are going to be any good at reading it? Yeah, well, um, I mean, maybe or maybe not. You know, I mean, Charles Dickens probably would be pretty good because he used to do those stage shows of his own books, didn't he? So he'd be, a, he, I'd be, I'd, I'd be very interested to hear Charles Dickens because I would like to know if he's good or if he was a bit hammy and because you never know. He was good. Charles Dickens might have had a very clicky mouth, <laughs> uh, or he might, you know, there's there's all manner of quite distracting and irritating vocal tics. Yeah. 
yeah. uh, that you get with audio books. <laughs> I, was, um, <laughs> I, I downloaded one the other day and I won't say who it is. I'm just trying to scan forward in this anecdote to check for potential problems that i'm going to um but there it's like a quite a serious sad memoir about someone who loved their mum and then she got ill and died and 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 it's all about the process of grieving for this guy's mum and it is it was written by someone roughly our age um same sort of social background or whatever and the guy they got to read the audiobook is just uh nothing like the the fellow that wrote it whatsoever it sounds as if they got a sort of aging thesp to read the audiobook and he he reads it <laughs> so it's all just stuff like he reads it in this voice like this <laughs> and um so he's talking about his mother and saying she used to bake the most marvelous cakes and i would come into the kitchen and say mum i love your cakes that you know and it's just going full on with the with the <clears throat> sb read and it just completely destroys it uh, and I could, I had to stop reading it after a while. Yeah. Like for for a bit, it was fun. It was quite good. I was seeing my mates more and more often in those days, and be feeling very excited about the prospect of getting it together with my new girlfriend. I don't know. I'm not doing justice to the actual text, but it was. No. It's all that that sort of pitch of uh well it's when it's wrong it's interesting when the wrong person's doing something it's really interesting or just for you sometimes isn't it that some of them i just find impossible especially with a novel sometimes you'll really get into it and sometimes it's like impossible to get into it i was listening to john malkovich do breakfast of champions which is great um he's just like the way he's just he's very john malkovich in it and it sort of fits it very well i'd well I had michael palin which we'll let we'll talk about some of the guests you've had we had michael palin finally on realisper and that's the only good thing that's happened this year if that had been cancelled as well i think that would have been just so upsetting because that was the most exciting thing for me this year um but his he he was doing erebus and it's it adds so much more having him do it he's it's so good but i asked him uh who he'd have and he went he did a funny bit about roman authors which people at home will hear soon um or will already have heard if they listen to the podcast um I'd quite like i'd quite like i'd like um uh you know james joyce doing ulysses something with weird language yeah and, well i'm um, making him do that as well you know making him have to sit through and read it all that would be quite good yeah do that like I listened to the Is audio sort of, of um of uh clockwork orange the other day anthony right. Burgess, and of course that's all written in Nadsat, this weird made-up semi-Russian language that the dudes all uh, do. And who was the guy that uh, read it? Oh, he's an actor and he's British and he's anyway. Hugh Grant? No, not Hugh Grant. Um, Young. I think maybe is it even the guy who's who does the? Oh, I'm embarrassed that I've forgotten his name because I should know it. James McAvoy. No, it's but it's he, not not a million miles away. Is maybe the guy who does the sitcom about the uh, refugee who comes to the UK? Have oh, um, yes. 
I, I hate being, like, this is the worst thing about being middle aged and had two beers. I know exactly who you mean. He played uh, Terry Jones in uh, in the Monty Python thing. I'm a, I'm, you know, I don't know him, but I follow him on Twitter, and he's a lovely guy. And yeah, you'll have I'm, got his name by the Rufus Jones. Rufus Jones. Um, I'm not sure it's Rufus Jones reading. <laughs> this was a bad tangent. I apologize. But anyway, that was very good. Whoever reads that, uh, it's a fairly recent one and it is brilliant. That Clockwork Orange one. Uh, what is your favorite audio book ever that you just wished it wouldn't end? Um, I tell you, I really loved Limmy's um, autobiography. His short story ones are pretty good. The first one's better than the second one of the short stories. But it's very good hearing him read that. But his autobiography is so good. I think I think it's sort of he stopped doing everything now just to do Twitch like a fucking idiot would. Like to talking to people in his bedroom playing video games. What kind of prick would do that? Um but uh but his it's sort of so it's a voice you don't usually hear in books and he's so talented as a, a writer, I think. And it but it's it feels like, you know, catcher in the rye or something like you know, it just feels some of it, and then some of it's all about programming computers and stuff, which is a bit more boring. But it's his story of, or a bit less novelistic, I should say, rather. But his story of of going through nearly kind of killing himself and getting being a massive drinker and stuff like that. And it's just the chapter about having his ejaculating for the first time after having after having had a lot of trouble ejaculating is hilarious. I was laughing and crying. It's like poetry. So I could have I could have listened to Limmy talk about his life a lot lot longer, which is a sort of weird choice. But um, I heard but, yeah, you talking great. about it on Rahalestapa, and yeah. I I bought it off the back of that. But then I was still writing my book at the time, and so I yeah. started listening to it, and and I thought, oh, I can't listen to this because it's too good, and it's going to just depress me. So I stopped listening to it, but now I'm going to um, I'm going to go back to now it now that, that mine is finished. Although it still might be a bit depressing. Anyway, it's a different thing. He's had a colourful life. He's had a totally different background. He... It's a very different life to you going to Westminster School. Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. It's a different. Is it? You had a different upbringing, but even so, but you know that's. But I think it, that I'd be interested in if you're covering that in your book. I think that's very interesting. A, I think Westminster is quite an interesting. Educational establishment, but I think to hear a a reasonable person (laughs) that doesn't happen the live shows Um, to hear like a normal person who you can identify with talking about that experience because going to public school is no it's not your choice. What what I think is interesting about it is people judge people for going to public school and rightly in in some cases because it's I can understand why they're upset. But it's never the the for you don't choose to do that as a young person. You know, that's a choice of someone else has made for your life, and so to judge someone solely by that, I think, is weird. But also, it feels like Westminster's quite an interest. When I've been round it, it seems and and you and Adam and Louis Theroux all came. You so you and Joe and Adam. I've done the thing. I've done the thing that they do with double acts. That was the You and Joe and Louis Theroux um, all came out of there, and yes. you're all fairly balanced and normal people yeah is it is it a slightly different one westminster is that is it say again is it a slightly it's is it slightly you know it's not eaten is it westminster? oh i see it's, like it's, a slightly different type of public yeah. school i think yeah. we all thought that it was uh yeah we thought we used to take the piss out of the kind of etonians and we thought of them as 
public school boys. We didn't think of ourselves as public school boys. We thought we were normal. And, uh, you know, because we lived in London and you couldn't really get away with you're right in the center of London. So when, whenever you went out, you couldn't get away with acting like a kind of freaky toff. No. Um, but then I look back at videos of myself from around then and, and we were freaky toffs kind of, but we just thought we were a bit cool. And we thought that people who went to Eton were, well, we called them, you know, it was like, oh, you go to Eton, oh, Eton, yeah, yeah, really great. And we'd sort of talk like that about those people as if we weren't yeah. like that ourselves. And <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were kind of like that a bit, but not, I suppose, not full on. We were embarrassed about it. We were self-conscious. I think that was the thing. Being in London, there was just, you got self-conscious more quickly. So there was a lot of people at Westminster who were embarrassed about being yeah. in a posh school, and, um, which is sort of understandable. But it's also a little bit of a shame because it was an amazing place in a lot of ways. You know, you go to prayers in Westminster Abbey every other morning. And <laughs> the, 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 the well, I love of- that part. I love that part of London. I love Westminster Abbey. And I've been around Westminster School a couple of times, you know, doing other things, doing charity things or whatever. Yeah. And it does. There does seem to be a nice feeling about it. You kind of think that would be a nice place to go to school. But see, it does seem cooler. And yeah. And yeah, being right. And I mean, you're opposite the Houses of Parliament. You're opposite Westminster Abbey. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is the 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 in every sense the the privilege of being there is off the scale. But um, no, it's weird. So yeah, I do write about that, and I do write about sort of feeling slightly conflicted about it, and wondering why it was that my dad thought it was so important that he sent his children to private schools because it ended up ruining him financially, you know. And uh, his life was made kind of miserable by that for a very long time. And I just right. thought, was that was it a really was it a good trade off? You know, like lots of people don't go to private school and they they do fine. You know, yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, I, I but you see, of- but you know what I mean. Although Limmy's life is very different to your life, it's it's sort of again. You, I don't know. That's it. It's so different than most people's lives. It's very different than my life. Even though I went to, I suppose I met a lot of public school people at university as a result of getting to Oxford, but it was, um, so I kind of had a, had a taste of it, but it's, it, it is, you know, it's, it's interesting to see books written by people who have, have had a, an unusual life and a life that you don't necessarily cover elsewhere, which maybe isn't public school as much. Maybe there's a bit more public school memoirs going on than there are growing, growing up in Glasgow. But, you know, I think there's, I think there's the right person covering, it, I think is the, is the interesting thing about that. Let's talk a little bit about, um, because we haven't got, we've been talking, chatting away. It's nearly, we're nearly done. Um, let's talk a little, you're a fantastic podcast going from strength to strength and absolutely, for, I mean, I've got people like you on my podcast, but you've got like proper people on your podcast. Until proper I had my people. You got like, I mean, Billy Connolly's got to be the Billy Connolly one is superb if people haven't listened to it, but he's he's apart from Michael Palin, who was absolutely my number one person I wanted on. Uh, Billy Connolly's right up there, um, and I think you know, to he was so good. Yeah, he was great on the podcast, but he was really good. I mean, I didn't really have to do very much. I just sort of sat there, and he was just. I was lucky that he was just in the right mood. But I was really quite nervous because I didn't know that much about him. You know, I wasn't a fan when I was growing up. I just didn't, I I couldn't relate to him at all. I was Monty Python guy. 
Yeah. And uh, Billy Connolly, there was no reference points for me whatsoever. I didn't get it. And so then I got the opportunity to talk to him because he was publishing his book of all his routines and bits and pieces. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I should because it'll probably annoy people that I don't know his stuff well enough and, and it'll be a wasted opportunity and I don't know. And also he'll realize that I don't really know what I'm talking about and it'll piss him off and he might be a bit tricky and I, there's t too many variables. But then in the end, I thought, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just, uh, I'll give it a go. It's too big an opportunity to pass up. It is. And, but then the night before I emailed a friend of mine who had worked with him and she said, um, she said, she get, she wrote back quite a long list of things like things to say and things not to say. I was just expecting her to say, oh, you know, like, you know, he likes, uh, you know, don't tell jokes. He doesn't really like <laughs> it when other people tell jokes. I'm just making these up. These aren't, these aren't things she said, but instead she wrote me like a long pretty specific list of things to avoid and things to say. And I was, and then I was just thinking, oh shit. And I, I emailed my producer Seamus and said, look, man, I, I think maybe I should pull out of this uh, because I don't want to fuck it up. It's just, uh, it feels, it feels bad. It feels like I'm definitely going to fuck it up. Cause one of the things she said, knowing that I'm a man who likes wearing shorts was don't wear shorts. <laughs> he hates people that wear shorts. <laughs> he thinks it's pathetic for a grown man to wear shorts. And, you know, look at me. I mean, I'm always, I always enjoy any opportunity to rock the creepy middle-aged DJ look. So, and it was on the hottest day of last year as well. I like wearing yeah. shorts. They're comfortable. They're practical. So that just put me in a really bad mood. I was like, what? He, 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 fuck him. He doesn't like men who wear shorts. I'm not going to spend the afternoon. I'm going to travel all the way down to London interviewing this guy who I don't even know his stuff particularly. And, uh, you know, getting nasty looks because I'm wearing shorts. Cause he, anyway, but actually, the fact was that by that time, I'd immersed myself in his stuff for a couple yeah. of weeks. And I got it. And it was like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And it was amazing. And um, I just watched everything I could get my hands on and listened to all his albums on Spotify and the language and the cadence of it and then the peculiarities of his own life and uh watched interviews with him and found out and, and and it was um yeah it was really amazing but then then that that email did really make me even more nervous because i thought fuck I, this is a complicated guy and i don't want to fuck this up anyway it worked out he was in a good it mood was great. and yeah. i i got there i was wearing my shorts i was gonna i got there <laughs> early because i i thought i'm gonna change out of my shorts but he was fine. And, and I told, yeah. I said like, Oh, I heard that you don't like men in shorts. And he laughed and said, who told you that? And, uh, <laughs> it was good. Like they I do. Well, like, so I, I had Michael Payne and what for the people who listen to this on the podcast, it'll be like two weeks ago. Uh, when's it coming out? It's coming out. Like it'll be about six weeks from while we're, from when we're recording this. So is that we only did two this year. We're still working through last year. Um, and it was like a huge deal for me. I was so jealous of you getting him. Again, you did a beautiful job with Michael. 
Well, um, I bet yours was, I mean, you. I, I can't wait to listen to yours. I bet it was, obviously your shows are so different anyway, because they're in, yeah, in, yeah. A, in front of a live audience. My talk with Michael was very downbeat. It was shortly yeah. after my dad died and um, I was feeling very emotional. And uh, so it was, it was quite a kind of, it wasn't somber and there was some funny bits, but it, but, but it certainly wasn't the kind of chat you would have in front of an audience. How was no. yours? It was good. I mean, I was so um, in awe. I mean, that's it. I mean, he's absolutely my number one person in the world. But certainly, as as a as a performer and writer, he's just everything. He was so nice. Um, I, the thing I regret, I think, like I wish I'd asked. I didn't really ask any emergency questions on stage. You didn't ask him wish- if he could suck his own cock. I didn't ask that, um, but I wish I'd asked him some more because back, we did something, we, you know, we do like a bit backstage, as you know, yeah. and he basically improvised. I asked him a question. If you're a, if you're a monthly badger, it's worth watching this one. He improvised basically a whole new scene to Life of Brian. I brought up King Herod. Wow. And then he improvised, he improvised the whole, said, oh, we never did that, and then did, and basically improvised the whole scene that he might have done in Life of Brian. And I think I just, because I want, there was so much to cover with him, and I wanted to try and, get in as much as I could that I just and it was it was great right like he was he was amazing (laughs) but I just thought I think maybe I should have been it's always that difficult thing with my podcast is working out that line of how respectable the respectability you're frozen you look like you're frozen I hope you're still there um uh the um the uh have I unfrozen you know working out how rude you have unfrozen your back um is working out the uh, how rude you can be to people and, and whether you can get that right. And so, like with Richard E. Grant, who I still don't quite understand why he doesn't, he or his people didn't want that one to go out. I wonder, was I? I didn't, I didn't go on enough about his major triumphs. He seemed to be enjoying it, but I was much more here's, talking here's about my the, theory the, the weird about, things he'd done. Here's my theory about why he didn't want it to go out because I think he'd been on a massive publicity push. Um, because he was in that uh, film, yeah. um, what was it called again? Uh, uh, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? Which is great. And yeah, it's great. And he was nominated for an Oscar and it was all, it all felt right. And he was going for it and he was doing loads of publicity and then he didn't win. And then he just went off the map. And, um, I don't know if the timing is right for I think it might have been something about that he, he he'd done an interview the same week it was meant to go out I think or around about the time they pulled it where he'd been he'd revealed something about Julianne Moore who had meant to have been in that film to begin with right uh, and so I think they were worried he would he might be saying stuff that affected his cash that, well that's the interesting thing as that I mean I'm just guessing because honestly top three podcasts I would say or everyone I've done he was brilliant it was very funny I was cheeky to him but I felt it he appreciated it and he worked with it um I think that maybe if I'd just even done five minutes I went oh you've worked Robert Altman you've done this and you've done that must have been amazing I think he would have may, maybe I don't know but anyway so I think maybe with Michael Palin I kind of wish I'd be because he's you know you sort of respect him so much but He's still like you know. It's not like he's not a man who is not rude. It's not like a man who you couldn't ask if you ever sucked your own cock. No, yeah. I felt like that would be a wrong thing. To, he wrote every, every sperm is sacred. But yeah, he was he was great. He was interesting, and um, he talked a little bit. You know, he talked about Terry Jones a little bit, but not too much. We I kind of didn't want to push that too much. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to make him cry or make myself cry. Uh, although it was interesting, he talked about. Um, having mild not quite fallen out with him but they were such good friends but when ripping yarns came out 
because the BBC were trying to push it as his thing, as Michael Palin's thing. They didn't really want two Pythons involved. So Terry's role in it was kind of, you know, even though we, they obviously wrote it together, uh-huh. was kind of a little bit underplayed. And I think Terry Jones was a bit put out by it. So he did talk about that, which is, again, quite interesting because, I mean, you know, I'm fascinated by that double act dynamic and how that works and how you if you remain friends or whether you don't remain friends or if you ever were friends but with that with those two I mean certainly that all the tributes that Michael did to Terry is just and him going to see him at his house yeah I'm going to go still take him to the pub every week even though he didn't know who he was yeah um no, it's when, so, when, so moving and beautiful kind of this beautiful male friendship that, that's quite a rare thing I think yeah, that's right. Well, Louis, I sent Louis. I'm just going to make it about myself again, if that's all right. Okay, do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, because I watched Michael Palin talking about Terry Jones and uh, choking up on the news. And it was, yeah, and I, I'm sure, like a lot of people, just started crying myself watching that clip. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I sent my book to, to Louis through to read because he's in it as well. And, um, but Louis described it as a kind of love story. Um, but you know, it's, it's the story of my affair, my love affair with Joe from charting it from the beginning. And I do sort of write about it explicitly, not explicitly in a sexual sense, (laughs) although there is some very hot sex with Joe that is described, but, um, yeah, it, it just, you know, that thing, when you look back on it, you, you think like, oh gosh, yeah. It is, it is a love affair, really, just without the sex, and um, it, everything about it is the same. You know, the 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 feeling of excitement you get when you're going to see the person, the feeling of missing them so much when they're not around, and imagining the kind of things that they would say if they were there, instead of laughing at the things that you imagine them saying. You can hear their voice so clearly, all that sort of stuff. You know, as well as admiring them and being inspired by them and anyway so i hope i've i've kind of done some justice to that and then at the end th- there's a few sort of um moments as well when when um i don't really touch on negative stuff too much but there's a couple of moments when i just thought what what's going on here and where where it felt like our friendship was kind of dissolving or whatever um towards the end of the 80s and I never really resolved any of those things. But then I I did a a sort of bonus podcast thing with Joe just the other day, a remote thing that's going to go at the end of the audio book. Yeah. And he, he picks out various bits and pieces from the book and he picked out one of the things I wrote about and, and we talked about that. And we sort of resolved it at okay. the end of the uh, book. So that was quite satisfying. But I think yeah, that's it, it you know, it is. Well, it, but it's like it is a. It's it's got that element of marriage to it, and like some marriages, as we were discussing earlier, are very harmonious, and some are, are based on. And I think that's what. And, and you know, I think in Monty Python, I talked to him about. I think the heart of Monty Python was John Cleese and Terry Jones, kind of not really getting on that well. I think. I think Terry Jones and John Cleese rubbed each other up so much that that was the grit in the oyster that created the pearl. You know, I think that they they came at it from such a different angle and had such different talents. I mean, the thing with Monty Python, it's an amazing group of people. And Terry Jones is is sort of the heart of it. And again, it takes realising, you know, 
looking back at it to kind of realise that as much. But I think without him antagonising John Cleese, I think it probably, and, and vice versa, I don't think it'd be quite what it was. And so I think, you know, with me and Stu, I think there was always, uh, you know, the competitive, it was more like that competitive thing that you can get in a marriage where you're, where you're more fighting and then that leads to fantastic sex or comedy, hopefully. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, but, you know, but there's loads of things that, you know, I saw, there's an incident that I've never talked about and I've never talked to Stu about. And this came very, very early on uh, when we, it was sort of weird because at university I was sort of the, I'd been sort of fated as the the, the main performer and oh. I'd, I'd done the Oxford Review and all that sort of stuff and he'd written it and there was a sort of weird thing with that. And then when we came, when we came into the real world, uh, he was doing much better as a stand-up and I wasn't and he was seen as the performer and I was seen as the writer and it all kind of flipped around. And I really wanted to act and he got this, um, he got offered this part in like a student short film. It was like nothing. It wasn't important, <laughs> but it was a short film in which I can't remember what happened, but it ended up with him going around to a guy's house and then they, they ended up on this date together and they'd sort of dance together. I love that film. And it, okay. <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. John Maloney did it in the end. I should have talked to John Maloney about it. And I kind of thought at the time I thought, it's kind of weird that, you know, that he's in a double act and this is, it would seem obvious to sort of offer me the other part, but, and I think I even said to you, oh, that's, you know, it's weird you got offered that and I didn't get offered it. He said, yeah, well, that you didn't get offered it. So, And then it was in Norwich, actually, fun enough. We were doing a gig in Norwich and they had the after show part. They had like, they'd filmed it in Norwich. And then there was a party where all the crew got together. And um, one of the crew said to me, so you didn't fancy doing the doing the film then? And, uh, and but I, and I, this is why this is an interesting story. Because obviously he, but we'd both been offered it. I never got told that I'd been offered it. She said, "I'll do it, but not if he's doing it." Obviously, this was very early on. But I also just went in that moment. I went, "Yeah, no, didn't didn't fancy it." So like, I didn't even, and I never told Stu that I <laughs> that I knew that he'd done that. But that's such, you know, he didn't want to be an actor, and I really wanted to be an actor. And that was a really weird little power play going on between the two of us but the reason I tell the story is I think it says as much about me as it does about him because I was in such a I was in such a kind of low status position by then that I didn't even go what the fuck why did you do you know I just thought I'm, I'm and I never ever even told him that I knew that that had happened I never spoke to him about it and you know I could have said to the guy oh yeah I didn't know you know no one told me about it but that's kind of interesting isn't it and I'm sure he could come up with some stories where I did something similar to him. I doubt it. I'm a very nice guy, but <laughs> but I was just, I would just been thinking about it. And that's such it just sums up that the weirdness at the heart of our relationship. Even then, you know, so it yeah. sort of fascinates. It fascinates me when a double act are. We were friends, but I think working together made it harder to be friends, and then stopping working together made it easier to be friends. Were you friends be- before you started working together? I mean, we worked, we met, and then decided to work together. But we were we were certainly friend friendly to begin with. But I think it it was it was it all kind of came down to um, it was a weird thing because I did the Oxford Review and he didn't. But it was the Oxford Review that got really pummeled by all the stand up comedians in Edinburgh. Like I had a terrible time and basically nearly stopped performing. And he wasn't part of it because he wasn't in it. And then he really got into stand up. And then. So right at the beginning of our sort of professional relationship, he was pushing more to be a stand-up and I wanted to do sketch comedy and felt resentful of all these people who'd bullied me. <laughs> and he was sort of siding with all those people. So it immediately created this, you know, this divide between us that was, 
a little bit weird. But I think again, I think it's I think that was what made it work as well. Yeah, as a as a double act. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad. You know, I think we it it ended at the right time, and I and I would never want to go back to it. Which is, you know, I think is different than say you and you and Joe, who still sort of seem happily to get together when you do get together. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good now. I really like it. There's not a shred of um, envy or, uh, you know, bitterness uh, left. Um, I really, I can say that with my hand on my heart. Which (laughs) side is it? There you go. Um, (laughs) But but yeah, there definitely was for a while. Oh, it was grim. I wrote a big thing in for the book all about when we when we did a toy movie of Titanic. Do you remember? Yeah, like we, yeah. we used to do, we used to do parodies of TV shows and films in our in our TV show with with little stuffed toys and stuff. And after, when we did the I think it was the second series, it was 19 uh 1998 or something like that. And um two series of our show had gone out and we were out in California staying with the people that produced our show that ran the production company Fenton and Randy they were called and we were kind of on top of the world and it was like we made it we had two shows they'd gone down really well they'd gone they'd gotten pretty good ratings for what it was we got some good reviews it was like yes we're the kings of the fucking world and so we went out to California and they they hired the skiing lodge out in Mammoth Mountain we went skiing and we were out on a hot, we were in a hot tub, me and Joe out on a, um, on a balcony overlooking the mountains. And we we're just like, this is it. Well, we're, we're the Kings. I was drinking a beer and I think Joe was smoking a doobie and we were just, <laughs> it was the sort of Hollywood moment of success. And I was playing around with my empty beer bottle. It was bobbing around in the hot tub and I, I sort of, said something like iceberg right ahead and i knocked the thing. and joe said uh yeah we should we should do uh titanic as a toy movie and i was like uh mm, i don't know about that and as soon as he said it i just thought oh fucking hell he's gonna do he's gonna do titanic and it's gonna be really good and it's obviously it's gonna be brilliant because everyone's seen fucking titanic and he's gonna do a really good job and sure enough <laughs> he absolutely went to town because the thing the thing that we never admitted really was that we used to divvy up all the toy movies. We always yeah. said like we did everything absolutely together because we wanted to maintain a coherent image, you know, of just like, yeah, we share we share all the responsibilities. But actually, for practical reasons, apart from anything else, we divided everything up. So it was fi- really competitive, like who's done the best toy movie and stuff. And yeah. it was generally Joe that did the best <laughs> ones I can see now. And, um, so he went completely to town on this fucking Titanic thing. And I went on holiday. I just met my beautiful wife, although we weren't married at that point. And we went away for our first foreign holiday. And when we got back, I went into the studio (laughs) and Joe and the entire studio was filled with this (laughs) eight foot fucking cardboard model of Titanic that Joe had made with all cardboard and straws. And, and it was completely amazing and uh i just i i thought this is bad and i was gonna i mean i really had to stop myself from breaking in there at night and just burning it and 
And basically, I had fuck all to do with Titanic. I did the voices on it. Like we came together and do voices and things like that. And then it was just everyone loved Titanic. You know, it came out in Channel 4. <laughs> they did uh, Film 4. They launched the Film 4 channel. And, and on the launch night, they showed a sort of 10-minute cut of Titanic. And everyone was going, oh, it's so amazing. It's so brilliant. And every time someone said it, I would just go, yeah, no fucking, <laughs> fucking Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, yeah. <laughs> and then, um, but we were saying, you know, to everyone, oh, we, we do everything together. We do everything together. And then Time Out rang up just before the Film 4 launch night. And they said, oh, we just wanted to just chat with you quickly about the titanic thing and so i was thinking ah well you're phoning the wrong guy but i can't say that because we're supposed to do everything i can't say oh you need to talk to joe he did that one so i had to just sort of style it out and say oh yeah what do you want to know and i was very i thought i was very careful to say we about everything we did this and we did that and you know and trying to do justice to what joe had done on it and all that Anyway, obviously, an eye must have slipped through. Um, and the next, like when, when Time Out came, came out that week, I got a phone call and it was Joe and he was apoplectic. And he just said, what the fuck have you said now? And I was like, what? What are you on about? And um, he said, uh, you're talking, you basically made out that you did Titanic in the uh, thing. <laughs> I mean, it's so just incredibly ludicrous and pathetic, but the but the tensions and the lack of perspective at the time is just so overwhelming. Anyway, I wrote a big story about it, but then it was one of the pieces that I eventually just chopped out of the book. Um, and uh, it's less about all that stuff, and it's more about the kind of fun times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which there there were as well. But for oh me, man, but, there was uh, loads. But, yeah, but but yeah, but it's but it's you know it's it's fascinating. I think, and it is. But it's the and it's and the way any friendship goes, and the end way if you meet someone, especially when you're you were very young when you met uh, Joe, obviously. But and I think what's also which I read today in an interview with Joe is that you basically got him into the first TV thing that you you you've been offered a TV thing and set and got Joe into it. So there's that there's always that weird dynamic where. Someone yeah. has to be great. Has to be grateful for the opportunity, which he obviously still is. But then you know, then you yes, know, you can't you start that can't out, last forever, <laughs> right? You start you start out as the senior partner, yeah, and yeah. At, at various points, you want to just say, "Can I just uh, can, I, <laughs> can I just remember how this started? Like how all this started? Oh, with me, with me, because I'm special. I'm the special guy, not you, not you so much." In that voice, and then. Uh, and then, you know, the, the the dynamic is constantly shifting and, oh, it's so exhausting. I wish I could go back. That was the overwhelming thing writing the book was at certain points just wishing more than anything I could go back and, and, and just say, mate, calm down and uh, don't do that. <laughs> but then I just think the, the, you know, the way we took things so seriously and we, everything was so important. We'd argue over whether at or there was in a sentence for a day, you know, it was nuts. But that level that you need that level, certainly at that stage, I think you need that level of passion and self-belief. You know, we were but I mean, I was so this weird mixture of insecurity and utter confidence, you know, I mean, it's it's such a weird job being a comedian. 
to to believe that you deserved any of those things that either of us had in the nineties, yeah. you know, uh, but as well as going home and thinking, oh no, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm terrible at everything I do. So you know, it's it's a bizarre thing, and it's very difficult to navigate those waters, and especially with someone you know very well, and 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 things, you know, and your and your motivations and and what you want to have it changes. It's it's sort to me, it's just amazing those double acts, the double acts that keep working forever, and that that haven't fought you know there's ones that work together and don't like each other but still a force to work with each other which is interesting because they're so successful they can't stop and there's work and there's those like terry and michael and dawn and jennifer i guess and who are just like absolutely best friends yeah vic and bob and people like that yeah yeah Yeah. it's just i I, I don't you know I i find it very interesting and it's and yeah, but it's only because I think it's it's like being brothers, it's like being uh, lovers, it's like being best friends. You know, for anyone, it's it still matches up. I think in it's 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 an understandable relationship to anyone because everyone has got that relationship with someone in their life. It's someone they work with, someone who's in their family, someone they have had a relationship with, or were in a relationship, with or are still in a relationship. With. Yeah, yeah. But I you know, and I think in the in the nineties and the, the early two thousands. The the women I chose or who chose me, I don't know, you know, were always inappropriate, not always, but nearly always wrong and bullying and, you know, and took advantage of being being nice. Uh, And I wasn't always nice either, but, you know, it was, I I would always have a certain type. So you are, you're making certain choices in your life about who you're interacting with. And I think with women, I kind of went, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm just. I'm not going to ever go in a relationship with someone like that ever again. <laughs> and I think that's. I think that's what you realise. You know, you realise that as uh, as we go on. Anyway, look, we've we've taken a lot of your time. That is my wife texting. Me. Is that your wife? My wife hasn't texted me yet to tell me it's over. She I mean, this saying, podcast. Have you finished? <laughs> just we've gone on longer than we said we would. Finishing. There we go. <laughs> so anyway look i really hope i can get you and uh, and uh, adam no joe yes uh, the other one no on we, the... we were really looking forward to it I so yeah really looking forward to it. let's make Such it happen soon. yeah so um, we'll do it again at some other time and i'll see how he feels about all of this uh and yeah, uh, he might ram- not be ram- talking to me after this after i told no. the titanic story yeah maybe uh ramble book out in september the book is uh, the physical book is out in September. I'm, the the idea is for the audio book to come out in a few weeks. I suggested oh, really? it to my publishers and said, like, well, why don't we just put the audio book out now? I mean, good um, idea. And so that's what we're going to do. I think. Great, good, and uh, the podcast is back and continuing. What fantastic guests that I'll be jealous of have you got coming up, or are you not allowed to say? Uh, well, it's all scrambled now because of the thing. But you can do them remote. You're going to do them remote. You, I mean, it works for you remotely, and this has worked very well, I think, remotely. You and I. Yeah, it's so different, though. It's so different yeah. to being. I really need to be in a room. The only one I ever did remotely before this whole crisis was Bill Hader, and I like. And it was good, but I I felt as if it would have been a lot better if I'd been in a room with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's difficult, but and so that's why I'm leaning on old friends and people I already have a relationship with. So repeat guests. So Joe will probably do one uh, if he's still talking to me after this, and uh, Louis through I hope, and Tash Dimitriou and past podcast guests cool. who I already know I'm going to do. I think <laughs> terrific. Well, thank you so much for being my first remote guest. It's been hey, very thanks, interesting. man. 
good to Thanks see you. Yeah, really love to see you. Take care, and uh, let's hope we both get through this alive. One of just statistically, one of us is going to die. <laughs> I mean, I've got young kids. I hope it's you, just because I've got young kids. That's the yeah. Idea. Look, my book's finished. Uh, yeah, I've had a great run. Um, thanks very much. Bye. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Buxton. Hooray! Thanks, Adam. We're go- we're going to go. Thanks to everyone who's listened and watched and subscribed. Subscribe and do whatever you like. Now, fuck off. Goodbye. Thank you, Adam. Bye bye. You have been listening to Rahala Stuffer with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Adam Buxton. Thank you to Pest for playing this music, even in lockdown, though Pests are part of the problem, am I right? They must be regretting that name now. Uh, I am indebted and would like to thank um, Adam especially, uh, and for being the first guest. Everyone at Zencaster and Zoom for helping us do this. Everyone at Twitch for giving us the chance to do this. And especially, of course, to Chris Evans, not that one who is doing not only only all the the behind-the-scenes work of setting this up, but essentially being now the super producer of the show. So I am very indebted to him. Our executive producer of this show was the wonderful Martin Deet. We called him uh, Martin Details on the the set, me and Adam. He's all into the deets, that's what we would say about him. He's a clever pun. Uh, Also, we called him House Martin as well sometimes. That was another one. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. Why not head to GoFasterStrike.com slash badges and become a monthly badger. Help us raise some funds to keep making podcasts and get a cavalcade of lovely extras for yourself, including a lovely shiny badge or two and a membership card and lots of backstage interviews. All right, my fan friends, I will see you on the other side of this terrible atrocity. Bye.